John chapter 18, beginning in verse 15, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, where it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. And they said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Now it's easy sitting here comfortably on a Sunday morning. I mean, it's cold outside, it's warm inside, right? I told somebody earlier, I wish we had one of those electronic signs I'd type in right quick. It's warm in here, come on in, you know. But we're sitting here all comfortable. We're among friends and some family. and We're all a church family. Sitting in this situation, it would be real easy for us to condemn Peter for denying the Lord Jesus, wouldn't it? Oh, how bad Peter was. You see, we've grown up as Americans enjoying this liberty that we call freedom of religion. We talked about that a little bit in the Sunday school class this morning. But I think sometimes we as Americans take that liberty for granted. You know, so many have the attitude as, well, I'll go to church if I want to go to church. If I don't want to go, I won't go. It doesn't matter. I get to do what I want to do. Some say, well, the church will always be there, right? And so when I get ready to go, then, then I'll just go up there. But otherwise, I don't worry about it. But I will always have this liberty of going to church and worshiping God whenever I want to go. You know what? That may not always be so. We are living in a time when there is rapidly growing an anti-Christian sentiment in this nation. There's a great interest in Satanism and the occult, especially among young people and especially among college-age young people. What we refer to and what we're doing this morning and many in the world would refer to as traditional worship, the singing of hymns, not choruses, not I told the Sunday school class, pardon my grammar, there ain't no such thing as rock Christian music because I played rock music for six and a half years and if it's rock, it's not Christian. If it's Christian, it can't be rock. 
But what we call traditional worship is disappearing from many churches today. So many churches have adopted worldliness to try to attract the world. When we get the world in here, then we'll surprise them and slip the gospel in on them, right? That's not the way the Lord said to do it. You don't invite the water into the ship. The ship's okay in the water, but the water's not okay in the ship. We don't need worldliness in the church. And then Islam, which forbids any mention of the Bible or any mention of the Lord Jesus Christ, is making great inroads in America today. So we may not always have the liberty to assemble like this. And we ought to take advantage of it when we can and not take it for granted. But let me ask you a question. If you were put in a life and death situation as Peter was, because that's where he is, he's in a life or death situation, and you were accused of being a follower of Jesus Christ, would you confess him or would you deny him? Now it's real easy, because I know I've been there, it's real easy to sit here on a Sunday morning and say, look, I'm secure and I don't think I could ever be put in that situation. So no, I wouldn't deny the Lord. I would not deny him at all. I would stand up, stand up for Jesus. Well, Peter did that same thing, didn't he? We're gonna look at that in a moment. Peter had that same thought. I would never deny the Lord Jesus Christ. But you don't have to be put in a life or death situation to deny Jesus, you know that? Because a lot of folks who are saved, a lot of quote unquote Christians today deny the Lord Jesus every day. You know how they do it? Some do it this way. They have the thinking, the priorities, the ideas, and they follow the ideals of the world. In fact, in other words, they're worldly believers. I don't call them worldly Christians because a Christian's not worldly in the truest sense of the world. But they're worldly believers. They just listen to the world. They follow the world. We do it, if we're not careful, when we're with friends. And we refuse to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We refuse to witness of Jesus. We refuse to invite them to church. We refuse to bring up the Bible or mention any scripture of the Bible because we're afraid of their reaction. You know what we're doing? We're denying Jesus. We're denying the Lord just as much as Peter did. Now, as we look at these verses, Jesus had just closed the prayer of John chapter 17 and he told his disciples, we're going into the Garden of Gethsemane. And they went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, we're familiar with the events that took place. There in that garden, we've been in a place they call the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know if it's the right one or not. The comfort is that I know even if it wasn't, there's one like it over there, just like the tomb, right? But Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He was under such great pressure and such great agony that the scripture says his sweat were, as it were, great drops of blood. And he comes back. He had left Peter and James and John a little ways away from him. And he comes back, and what are they doing? They're good Baptists. They're sleeping, okay? <laughs> they are sound asleep, and they're supposed to be praying. And of course, we know it was there in the Garden of Gethsemane that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Think about this. Jesus was betrayed by a friend and he was denied by a brother. And so, well, that's happened to me before. Well, you know how it feels then, don't you? But here, 
Judas betrays Jesus and he's taken into custody. So as we come to verse 15 of this 18th chapter, we find Jesus before Caiaphas, the high priest, and we see Peter as he denies the Lord. And so from these events, what we're going to look at this morning is some of the things that happen and some of the ways that we might avoid denying Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want to look at is what I call Peter's claim. Peter's claim. Now what we have to do is we have to go all the way back to the 14th chapter of the book of Mark to look at what Peter said. But beginning in verse 27, the scripture says, And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I? And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Look at Peter's reaction. It says, But he spake the more vehemently. Now, he didn't just agree with the Lord. It's almost like Peter said, no, I will not deny you. He spake more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. I've said before, enthusiasm is contagious, right? And promises that you can't keep are contagious sometimes or that you don't intend to keep are contagious. And so Peter's, arguing with the Lord almost. He says, I'm not going to deny. You may think I am, but I will never deny you. Even if they put me in prison, I am not going to deny you. And all the other apostles saying, amen, amen, brother, amen. We won't either. Now listen, there's no doubt in my mind that Peter was sincere in his statements. I think with all of my heart that Peter thought in his heart, I will never denied Jesus. I love him and I will not deny him. I believe that he fully intended to stand for Christ. We're going to see some of that in just a moment. You know, when we were saved, we made a commitment to the Lord to serve him. Now, you may not have vocalized that. That may have just been in your heart. But I'm going to accept Christ as Savior. I hope you didn't just accept Jesus as a get out of hell free card or a holy fire escape. But we made a commitment to the Lord. And then when we joined the Lord's churches, we made a commitment to the church that we joined. And there is little doubt in my mind that at the moment we were saved and made that commitment, we were sincere. We really meant it. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to live for you. We were filled with the joy of a new life. We were filled with the excitement of salvation. We wanted our friends and family to have that same joy. We wanted our friends and family to have that same excitement. You know, I remember as a child, we had a, had a neighbor that lived next door. He was about a year younger than me. Now, this is not evangelism 101, okay? This is just how a child does it. I was about 10 years old, and I wanted Danny to be saved. And I just took notes one Sunday of the sermon. And I folded them up, and I knew which side of the car he got into, so I went to their car, and under the handle of the door on the side of the car he got in, I left those notes. I, you know, I just wanted my friend to be saved. And so we, we have that desire. I believe in the heart of every child of God, 
there is a desire to see other people saved. And I believe in the heart of every child of God, there's a desire to be used of God to lead other people to Christ. You know what happens? Over time, just like pulling an ember away from a fire, over time that joy and that excitement and that love for Jesus begins to cool a little bit. The world begins to mix in a little bit. And the world's attitudes and the world mind begin to mix in a little bit. And we find ourselves in the condition of the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 where the Lord said to them, I have somewhat against thee because you have left your first love. Honeymoon love. That love that a young man feels for his new bride or a new wife feels for her husband. That thrill, that excitement. And just when they've been married a long time, well, you know, because <laughs> I don't want to get myself in trouble. I'm just going to leave it right there, right? We've got an anniversary coming up. But sometimes you just get used to being married, right? And you just sort of take it for granted sometimes. She'll always be there. He'll always be there. And that's the way we are with the Lord. He'll always be there. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will always be there. But the question is, will I always be as faithful as I should be to him? Let me ask you this question. Does Jesus still have first place in your life? He is supposed to have first place. God said, I won't give my glory to another. God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Does he still have first place in our lives? Now look what Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. We all know what a sifter is. If you've ever done any baking, if you've ever sifted flour, here the word has the picture of winnowing grain, separating the seed from its covering. You take flour that's lumpy and you put it in a sifter and some you have to shake and some you have a handle to squeeze and some have a crank. So I've seen all kinds of those. I've done some baking. And you put it in there and you just sift that flour. I, I can envision Peter being put in Satan's sifter and Satan just cranking away. Jesus said Satan has desired you that he may sift you. That word desired has the idea of demanded Satan had to ask God's permission to sift Peter. Satan can't do anything to us without God allowing him to, but Satan had to ask God's permission to sift Peter as wheat. But here's something interesting. I think, and I think this shows up here, that Satan knew who he could sift to. I think there's some children of God that Satan knows I can't sift him. Not in this area. Not in this area. He knows where he can sift us, folks. He knows where our weakness is, and he knew he could get to Peter. But listen to what Jesus continued to say. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter's saved. The problem is he's not converted yet. Well, what's the difference between saved and converted? He's accepted Christ as Savior, but he's still depending a whole lot on Peter. I can do that. I can live the Christian life. I'm going to live the Christian life. Well, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit and without the Lord Jesus living it through you. 
But he said, when you convert it, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Here, he's still arguing. I can do this. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You know, Peter learned something from the things that took place. And what he learned, I believe, is found over in the book of 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, and the eighth verse where he said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Peter was devoured. Satan got a hold of Peter and shook him real good. And he denied his Lord. And Peter learned a lesson, and later on, after he'd been converted, we see him in the second chapter of the book of Acts standing up for Jesus. We see him in First and Second Peter writing and warning churches of false teachers and false preachers and false doctrine. And Peter says, look, Satan's out there. If we got a call right now and we were told, look, or maybe your phone went off. It's not an amber alert, it's a lion alert, okay? <laughs> There's a lion that has escaped. Why is a lion coming through here? I don't know, but he escaped, all right? And he's roaming around your parking lot right now. And he is a vicious, hungry lion. How many of you would go out there? Oh, Brother Rick said, oh, we got a folk, couple of folks. Who, I wouldn't, I guarantee you. Okay, let's do it this way because Satan's pictured this way as well. What if somebody said there's a bunch of rattlesnakes out there in the parking lot? This boy ain't going out there, I tell you what. <laughs> you know. How many of you would send your children out there? But you know what? We send our children out in the world many times and Satan's out there and we don't prepare them for going out into the world and having to deal with Satan. And then Peter went on to say, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing, listen to this, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I've read that verse a lot of times without thinking of what Peter went through back in the book of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. Peter's saying, I went through it. I've experienced it. Don't fall the way I did. Don't give in to Satan. He's out there. He is looking for someone to eat. He calls him your adversary. He's our enemy. He is our opponent. Satan is against us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And we need to be aware that there is a devil. He is real. He's not something the preacher's made up. He is real and he's out there waiting to eat you and me alive. Thankfully, he can't do whatever he wants. But what we have to remember is that although we may have a true desire in our hearts to serve the Lord, folks, we have an adversary who wants just the opposite. We have an adversary who would love to see us stumble and fall and deny our Lord. We have the world and the flesh and the devil against us. But you know what? What does Romans 8.31 say? We've got God for us, and if God be for us, who can be against us? I don't care that the world, the flesh, and the devil are against us. I've got God for me, folks. And every one of us has God for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul encourages believers to be aware and not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Devices talks about purposes. Peter's claim to be faithful to the Lord sounded good in the upper room. <laughs> but you gotta come outside, Peter. You gotta go to the garden, Peter. You gotta be there, Peter, when Judas 
betrays the Lord. His devotion was about to be put to the test. And you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I'll never be like Peter. I'm devoted to the Lord. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to serve him. But I guarantee you, your devotion is going to be put to the test. The Sunday school class knows who I talked to yesterday. I'm not going to mention their name. But I talked to a dear, sweet lady yesterday who's just going through in this last week or week and a half, going through all kinds of troubles and all kinds of difficulties, just personal things. And she said, Satan's really attacking me. And I said, yeah, he is. Now, I don't want to scare anybody. And, you know, whoever the Lord leads here, we won't hear. But, you know, I've noticed that when people join this church and start serving the Lord through this church, many times, almost right away, they start having some difficulties. I don't think that's God doing that. Why? Because here's, I believe, you say, well, you would be, you're prejudiced. You would say this, yes, I am, and yes, I would. Because if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be here. But folks, I believe this is a church that loves the Lord and truly wants to serve God. We don't want to do what the devil does. We don't want to play his games. And because of that, many times our people, we have seen over the last few years, how many times have I said it over the last few years? We have seen our people attacked. Satan's trying to get us to quit serving God, to quit being faithful to God. And it's going to be easy to sit here and say, well, we're not going to do that. Right? And I hope we're not. Well, next we see Peter's courage. He had some courage because in verse 10, you look back there. Well, that's not the verse I want. But anyway, you look back and Peter showed some courage because when they came to arrest Jesus, what did he do? Man, get that sword. He's quick draw Peter, you know. He pulled that sword out. And he swung it and he chopped off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. What did Jesus say to him in verse 11? Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? I think Peter's commitment to Christ is seen. He's ready to fight. He's ready to pull his sword. The faithfulness of his statement in Luke 22, when he said to the Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. But see, his readiness and his willingness to fight was all in the flesh. I'm Peter. I'm a big, bold fisherman. I've worked out there on the Sea of Galilee for years, and I've fished, and I've sailed, and I've fought storms, and I've, I've, I've done these things, and so I can stand up to all of these soldiers that are come out against you, Lord. Because he had said, though I die, I'm not going to deny you. See, whenever we reach the point of feeling self-sufficient, either spiritually or physically, we're on the road to failure, folks, especially in the spiritual realm. Remember the 12th chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh that he had. And Paul said, I prayed to God to remove it. And he said, three times I prayed and ask God to remove it, and God didn't remove it. Sometimes God may allow us to endure a condition. Why? For our strengthening. Because you look at what he said there in chapter 12, verse 10, because God had told him, he said, I'm not going to take it away, because when you're weak in the flesh, that's when you're strong in the spirit. And therefore, Paul said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, 
then am I strong. Y'all want no secret about when I feel the weakest? So I stand right there. When I stand right there behind that pulpit and try to preach the word of God, that's when I feel the weakest because I know and I have a dear deacon who, in fact, too now, who loved me and who will agree with me 100% when I say I can't preach. Amen. Thank you all I'm just for not making me a liar. Okay, But I can't. Christ in me can. Amen. But depending on my strength and my ability, I can't do it. Amen. And so when I stand up here, I don't know that I get nervous in the sense of somebody who's never stood before people and tried to give a talk or whatever. I don't know I get nervous in that sense, but there's a, a, just a, I don't know what to call it, a certain fearfulness. I want to preach the truth and I want to preach God's word. And I prayed last night, I said, Lord, help me preach your word in a way that people will hear it and people will receive it and people will take it to their hearts. That's what I want. When we're aware of our weakness, Folks, that's when we're more fully dependent upon the Lord. When I know I can't. Lord, I can't. You never said I could. But you will, and you always said you would. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? Isn't that a wonderful knowledge? When we start relying on our own strength, Satan licks his chops. He said, man, I got him now. I've got her now. But when we say, Lord, help me, Lord, you take charge, Lord, you take over, then I know that Satan is not going to have the opportunity he thinks he's going to have. We may think we will stand up for Christ under any circumstance, but we underestimate the power, the difficulty that comes when the approval of the crowd is at stake. What will they say? What will they think? How will I be viewed? When Peter depended upon his own strength, he soon found out how weak he was. And he denied the Lord three times, just like Jesus had said he would. So finally we're going to see, and this is going to be the longest part of the message, what I call Peter's contradiction in verses 15 through 27. Peter's contradiction. They deal with the denial of Jesus. It's a contradiction. Because here's one who said, I'll never deny you. I don't care what they do to me. I don't care if they put me in prison. I don't care if they kill me. I will never deny you. And then he contradicted his very promise to the Lord. See, the events, and by the way, this is not a one-time accident, right? Three times. It wasn't just a slip-up. Maybe the first one was. We're going to talk about that. Maybe the first one was, but it was three times. And when you do it three times, it's not an accident, okay? So the events ought to cause us to ask a couple of questions. Number one, how could such a thing happen? Peter started out well, didn't he? He started out well. He drew his sword. He had made a promise to the Lord. He drew his sword. And he did, look at verse 15, he did follow Jesus to the high priest residence, to the high priest's house. He's going, now he's not rushing ahead and he's probably not side by side with Jesus. He's following a little bit, way, a little ways behind, but he's following and he goes to the high priest's house. But now remember, he's depending on his own strength. He's depending on Peter right now. He hadn't been converted yet, and that's where the problems began. He denied the Lord. You notice, we read it right here, verse 17. A damsel, this is a young girl, says to him, oh, you're, you're one of his disciples. And I'm sure she just sort of, I don't know, probably said it like a young girl would say it to Peter. 
Oh, you're just one of his disciples, aren't you? And the scripture says that Peter said no. In verse 25, where do we see that he's moved from coming into the door over to those who uh, had maybe had gone to arrest Jesus. And they got a fire going. So he's going to stand around with the crowd now, isn't he? See, he's moved from following Jesus to standing around the fire with the crowd, getting warmed with the world, if you want to say it that way. And somebody recognizes him, and they say, aren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no, <laughs> you, you got me confused with someone else. And then in verses 26 and 27, now here comes the real clincher, because a relative of Malchus, I don't know if Malchus had time to get back and say, hey, that guy Peter whacked off my ear, but Jesus put it back on. And by the way, that should have been enough to impress some folks in that crowd, but it didn't. But maybe Malchus got back and told that, and so a relative says, hey, aren't you the guy with the sword? You know, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? I believe the first time that Peter denied the Lord, maybe it could have been, this young girl says what she says, and he, oh no, not me. And, and, and he just sort of does it in passing, and maybe he thinks the way we do sometimes, you know. Well, why didn't you, you were with a crowd of people, most of them were lost. Why didn't you say something about Jesus? Well, I'm just trying to keep down trouble. I didn't want to stir people up. I didn't want to get into an argument with anybody. And so I just sort of kept silent. Maybe Peter thought, look, if I get arrested, if I tell this girl, yes, I'm one of his, and they arrest me, I can't help him. And we have all kinds of ways to justify, don't we, our denial of Jesus. We have all kinds of ways to make it seem all right. Maybe in a moment of weakness, without considering what we're doing, we deny Jesus that way, we deny out of the Lord that way. And just like, just like Peter, maybe we don't feel so bad about that denial. But Peter forgot a simple fact. Once you open the door to compromise and denial the first time, the second and third times get easier. And he's opened the door. He's denied the Lord once. It's going to be easier to deny him the second time and to deny him the third time. Sin gets easier with repetition, folks. You can take a child of God who's dedicated to the Lord and let him sin a little bit against the Lord and, and maybe he gets something, well, God didn't strike me dead that time. I can get away with a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And pretty soon we find ourselves far away from the Lord. Sin just gets easier with repetition. Maybe it's the first time Peter's just playing dumb. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm... You can't be talking about me. I wasn't with him. But the second time, he takes an oath, the scripture says. He denied the Lord with an oath. You know what he's saying? It's, it's sort of like saying, as God is my witness, I'm not with him. That's what it meant to take an oath. You know, the Jews had always many different ways of swearing. If you swore by the temple, then you had to keep your promise. If you swore by the, no, if you swore by the temple, you could break your promise. If you swore by the gold of the temple, you had to keep your promise. And they had many different ways of swearing. And maybe he just, he takes an oath and he says, I, no, it's not me. But if you look at Mark and Matthew and their record of this, you know what they say? He began to curse. Now I'm not going to repeat what I think Peter may have said right there. 
But the scripture says he began to curse and to swear in his denial of the Lord. Again, when we are tempted to compromise a little, we're going to be tempted to compromise a little bit more. And pretty soon we find we're out of fellowship with the Lord. We've left him altogether. So Peter's denial in this moment of weakness ought to cause us to ask another question. And here's that question. How do I prevent this in my life? How do I prevent in my life denying the Lord? And here's six very quick principles. Number one, be honest with yourself about your personal weakness. Be honest with yourself about your personal weakness. See, we need to be reminded that we are who we are by the grace of God. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he's, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul didn't claim any great personal responsibility for what he was. He was a great servant of God. He was a mighty servant of God. But he said, if there's any good in me, and folks, I'll say the same thing. If you see any good right here, you give God the glory for it. Because it's not me. It is the grace of God working in my life. We are saved, we are sustained, and we are strengthened by the grace of God. And we need to remember this. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, where the scripture says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, that's dynamic ability, and of love and of a sound mind. That's what God gives. Anything else comes from our flesh or, or comes from the devil or comes from somewhere else. But be honest with yourself about your personal weakness. Number two, remember whose we are. Remember whose we are. We belong to Christ. We are called the children of God. We are called heirs of God. We are called joint heirs with the Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 16. The spirit itself or himself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. Remember who you belong to. You know, I kind of like our family name. I think I've shared this with you before. When I hear somebody with our last name getting in trouble, it just sort of irritates me. Anybody named Harris ought to behave themselves. They ought to act right. They ought to not get in trouble. But a lot of them do. And I just think, when I hear it, I say, why don't you straighten up? I don't even know these people. But that's the way I feel about family names. Well, we're wearing the name of Christ. That's our family name. Ever call yourself a Christian? Ever have somebody else call you a Christian wearing the name of the Lord Jesus? And we should never treat the name of Christ or our relationship to him lightly or in a disrespectful manner. We ought to be faithful to him. Wherever we go, whatever we do. Oh, you can't just be Christian in this building. That's what some people want to do. They want to come on Sunday morning. I'm a Christian. And then they want to get out in the world on Monday through Saturday and, and be like the world. No. It's not something you can put on and take off. If you've ever repented toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ and been saved by the glorious grace and mercy of God, you're His. You can't be unborn. You can't say, well, when I go outside, I'm not His. You're His. And you wear His name. Number three, develop some spiritual discipline. I like that one. 
develop some spiritual discipline. If you'll, we're not going to read these verses, but you can go back and read them in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 41. I mentioned this. Jesus goes into the garden to pray, and he tells Peter, James, and John, y'all wait here and pray, and I'm going to go a little bit farther and pray. When Jesus came back, Peter was asleep. Instead of praying, Peter was sleeping. We can only survive difficult times and the temptation to sin and deny Christ by remaining constant in prayer. I was not joking when I said, when I walk through Walmart or wherever it is, it's not just Walmart, I'm not just picking on them, but I'm, I love this song, Just a Closer Walk With Thee. And it's, it's in my head, I'm humming it, thinking it, whatever to myself. Because I know that if I don't walk close to the Lord, you know where else, you know where I'm going to walk? Away from Him. I have to walk close to Him. What are some disciplines to develop? Number one, a daily exposure to the Word of God. How many of you would go a day or two or three or four without eating? I didn't think so. <laughs> Obviously, I haven't gone many days or many meals without eating. But the Word of God is to the soul what food is to the body. And you can't go without spiritual food. You can't go without the Word of God. We need a daily exposure to the Word of God. We're reading through the Bible right now for those who are going along with it. And four short chapters. Well, some of them may be longer, but you know what? Four chapters. It doesn't take that long to read four chapters. It's shorter than a all these worldly television shows that people watch, okay? 30 minutes or less. You can read four chapters in the Word of God and you're exposed to the Word. I saw something wonderful the other day. I thought, and I'm going to try to come up with a series of messages or a message on this. But when Jeroboam, when the nation of Israel was split and Jeroboam said, you know what? It's too much work for you folks to go down to, to Jerusalem to worship. So we're going to set some golden calves up here, one in Dan and one in Bethel, and you can go there and worship. He was afraid that all the people would go back to Rehoboam if they went down to Jerusalem to worship. So he gave them some convenient religion, convenient worship. That's what churches are doing today, convenient worship. Oh, you don't need. One of the things that we do, and it's good in some ways and it's bad in other ways, is that we live stream our services. Now, it's good for the people who can't get out and get to church. I mean, really can't. I don't mean, oh, I can't make it today. I don't mean that. Now, this was last week, okay? Boy, we lost an hour last night, and I just can't go to church today. A whole lot of other folks could make it. I better hush, hadn't I? I'm meddling again now. But that's not can't. Can't is I have some physical ailment. I have some disability. I have some illness that's keeping me from going. It's great for that. But it's not good for people who just don't want to go and want to sit at home and watch whenever I decide to watch it. Because you see, not every, well, some are saying go on. Yeah, y'all not putting yourself in this position, are you? We don't have as many watch it afterwards or while it's going on as aren't here. How about that, you know? <laughs> so there's some folks staying at home that are not watching the live stream when it's on. 
It's not designed for that. It's designed for the benefit of people who cannot be here. Why did I get off into that? Because the next one is, is a discipline to develop meeting with faithful brethren for worship. We need to be here. We need the fellowship of one another. We need to be lifted up by one another. I'm lifted up by your presence. I'm encouraged by your presence. I know you're encouraged by the presence of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need that, folks. Especially in this day in which we live, we need that. The regular, preacher, you want to talk about giving the regular giving of our substance to God. God doesn't need your money. You need to give your money to God. Because what you do is you learn that as I serve God and as I trust Him and as I give to Him, God blesses me. And then number four, taking time for a systematic study of God's Word. We've got a daily exposure, but just reading a verse or two or reading four chapters and calling, you know, there's a difference between reading and calling the words. And there's a difference between reading and a systematic study. And there's so many studies that can be had, and some of those take place here. When we get lax in spiritual discipline, we're vulnerable. It happened to Peter, and listen, it can happen to each and every one of us. Okay, we're on number four now. These are how we avoid denying the Lord. Establish personal accountability. What do you mean? Be on the lookout for justification of sin in our own lives. When I fail God, will I just be honest enough to do what the Word of God says in 1 John chapter 1? If we'll confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or will I say, well, deacon made me do it. Deacon said the preacher made me do it, right? <laughs> will I blame somebody else? Will I not take any responsibility? Or will I say, look, I understand, Lord, I'm wrong. And I need to be made right. Remember, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and there won't be any justifying what we did then. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Number five, monitor your friendships carefully. Monitor your friendships carefully. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Sir Francis Bacon said, We think according to inclinations, speak according to learning and opinions, but act according to custom. We are known by the company we keep. And many times we will follow the company that we keep. And if we're following people who aren't saved and we're following people who aren't godly, guess what? At least we're going to be accused of if we don't fall in with them. Establish personal accountability, monitor friendships carefully. We must be friends with lost people if we're ever going to witness to them. We must be friends with those who are lost, but we cannot allow them to influence us. Okay? That's why we need godly, faithful friends. And number six, learn to act with an eye on the consequences. Make every decision with this question. At what price? What's it going to cost me? If I get into this, if I do this, if I do that, what's it going to cost me? How many have ever driven into a parking garage 
And you know, you drive up there and entrance is free. All you have to do is just take out this little ticket. And you can go in and you can park wherever, you can find a place. But what about when you get ready to go? Two dollars, four dollars, whatever, you know. You're going to pay for getting out. See, sometimes it's easy to get into things. But it sure does cost a lot to get out of them. Keep an eye on the consequences. What's it going to cost me if I get into this lifestyle? Would Peter have denied the Lord the first time if he had ever thought where it was going to lead? Most people live for the moment. You'll hear people say, well, I was in the moment. And they live for the moment. Folks, we've got to live with an eye on eternity. My life in this flesh is going to have eternal consequences. If it leads somebody to Christ, if it leads somebody away from Christ, if it serves God and serves Christ, or if it denies Christ, it's going to have eternal consequences. Well, let's close by looking at Peter's conviction right here. Because I love this, Luke chapter 22, verses 61 and 62. After Peter denied him the third time, it says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus didn't have to say a word to Peter. I don't know what was in that look. I've tried to imagine that look. I figure sometimes the Lord looks at me that way, you know. Whatever that look was, maybe it was eyes of hurt, maybe it was eyes of disappointment, Maybe it was some other look, but mostly I think it was eyes of love that said to Peter, I still love you. You denied me, but Peter, I still love you. Because later on, you ought to get to the 21st chapter of John, is it? And Peter and Jesus meet on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, are you fond of me? And he said, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus loved Peter even when Peter was denying him. But whatever that look was, again, verse 62 says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. And today in that place where the guides will tell you, when you're over there where the guides will tell you, this is where this happened, there is a plaque. And that plaque reads this way, Jesus, once filled with sorrow because of Peter's sin, is now gazing at us. He longs that we too might shed tears of repentance over our sins. The more we weep in contrition for having grieved Jesus, the more fervent our love for him will be. Have you denied Jesus? Have you denied him by your words? Have you denied him by your life? Have you denied him by your living? He's looking today. He's looking at each and every one of us today. Even at the moment we deny him, he's looking at us. And you know, the look is saying, I still love you. I still want you to serve me. I still want you to be faithful. If you'll confess your sins, I'll forgive you. And we can have great fellowship together. I mentioned 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 1 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, God, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. 
And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. It's just walking in the light. It's just walking with God. Just walking with Jesus. And saying, Lord, I don't want to deny you. Lord, help me never to deny you. Because I want to be faithful to you.